0: You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. This question, I didn't send you, but I'm going to ask anyway. You don't have to answer it. It's kind of controversial. I was just thinking about it today because I actually had a full schedule, and most of my schedule was black men. And uh they all have similar things that they're going through. But when it comes to childhood sexual trauma, do you think the view of black men who have experienced sexual trauma or acceptance is
1: different for those of other races? Absolutely, I believe that it's different. I mean, we were brought here, we were bred to produce to fight to build and there's there's expectations there's there's standards in our culture of what it means to be a man and it's i believe the antithesis of femininity that's it so what do i mean by that As a man of color, you're expected to be strong, you're expected to be stoic, you're expected to be the protector, the provider, to not share, not be emotional. And anything outside of those characteristics is considered weak and unacceptable. So it's different for
0: us. If you feel comfortable, this question is for anybody, no one in particular, um, do you mind sharing a little bit about your experience?
2: Sure. Uh, I would say that I had two experiences. One that happened when I was so young that for A long time, I believed it was a dream, and it was, it's still pretty clear as day, and I've had this memory for as long as I could remember, but I just remember, I remember sitting on someone's lap, and I remember a hairy chest, and I remember white underwear. And I remember knowing this person, like, feeling like I recognized this person. Uh, and if I go deep, it was someone that was connected to my grandmother in her bowling league. I'm pretty clear at this point, because I've done a lot of work to dig this up. But, um, and I was just my hand was guided to touch uh, his genitalia, yeah. Um and then when I was I don't know like eleven or twelve uh my uncle I believe from the direction of my mother forced me to have sex with a prostitute because they believed that I was gonna be gay and so that I guess it was his way of taking care of that. So I'm sorry
0: you had to go through. At what point um, in your life did you realize that what you had experienced was now having detrimental impact?
2: Um, there was a lot of off behavior. I would say in my childhood when it came to, um, Sex. I I didn't really realize what was going on because it was just kind of roped into what I guess I was being believed as um, a part of like me being a sissy or soft or sweet or whatever terms I heard. Um, But I would say. The. At the age of. Probably 18, 19, I started realizing that there was a major issue, but I didn't understand where it came from. I just knew that something was off. Something what was you think there was an issue? I was doing things that I knew were wrong. Compulsively? Uh
0: <laughs> Okay
2: we'll leave actually even earlier than that i would say probably 12 it was actually right after that what happened with my with the thing with the prostitute just i started doing some stuff that i don't really want
0: to talk about this is okay thank you for sharing so if i summarize really quickly someone assaulted you really early on and then as a result those who were responsible for caring for you, came up with a plan to correct what had happened and expose you to more trauma. Pretty much. Okay. Do you mind sharing? I don't mind.
1: Okay. So I was uh, sexually assaulted by an uncle. I had to have been maybe four or five. I think it was second, third grade. No, first and second grade. And um, this uncle lived with his brother and and his brother's family. You know, my aunt and cousins. We'd spend a lot of time. Um, at their house because my cousins, we were all about the same age. And I don't remember all the details. I just remember whenever we would come to visit, my siblings and I, he would call me into his room and he would close the door and I would just, just freeze Like I knew, not sure what was going on. I just knew that it wasn't right. I knew that it was wrong. So I just stood there and he, you know, removed my pants and he would, you know, fondle, fondle me, you know, with my underwear on. But he would put his hands like, yeah, he would, you know, fondle me. And I guess after he was finished, I would put on my clothes and go back to playing with my cousins. And they would ask, hey, where have you been? And, you know, we were looking for you. I didn't say anything. I'd just go back to playing with them. And it happened, I'm not sure how many times it happened, but it was regular. Um... It happened often enough, uh, more than once. And I'm not sure when it stopped, but I'm guessing it probably lasted a year or two. You ever blame yourself? Um, There's, yes, there's definitely some at the time, not now, but then I knew it was wrong, and I just thought that... Yeah, I do blame myself. I thought that I did something wrong, so I would get into into trouble if I told someone. So I just didn't tell anyone for many years. What finally helped you to speak up? I was close with my siblings, and I'd say at least, you know, maybe... Nine ten years later is when I confided in them. Um, I'm not sure how the conversation came up, but I just felt comfortable and it was just and it just fell out. You know, maybe we were talking about family drama, something inappropriate happening, and maybe that brought it up because a lot of inappropriate conduct and language regarding sex in front of children was, you know, we were introduced to it early. Not uncommon to hear, how many girlfriends do you have? You know, you see that girl, what do you like about it? You know, just objectifying, you know, girls. And this is coming from my adult cousins, male cousins and, and uncles. So, I knew it was inappropriate, but just went along with it, Mm -hmm. language, just because that that was the expectation, if you're a boy in our family. Am I sharing about your experience, uh,
2: speaking up about what happened to you? I think the first time I ever said anything was in, I was an adult, I was 20. Uh, it was the first therapy session that I ever had, um, because my behavior was just so just out there that I, I knew I knew I had to talk to someone and I didn't have, I didn't feel comfortable enough talking to anyone in my family about it, um. It was the summer before I went to school in Kentucky. That first therapy session. And that's when I first talked about it. And since then, I've brought it up to my grandmother maybe once. I don't know that I've ever even told my mom. But I haven't really talked to a lot of people about it in my family. Can I ask? I've been, I've been in therapy for over a decade. I've had an opportunity to evolve and grow and learn. Uh, and my family is not in a s- space and place to have evolved conversations about mental health, um, triggers. They're just not. And so instead of putting myself and them through that I, it's just not I just don't have the desire to do it. Has it been hard to carry
0: all of this this whole time on your own without the support of a family?
2: Instinctually I want to say no. Okay. Um that's fine. But if I were to think about the the symptoms to the real issue when it comes to my behavior, then absolutely, it has not been easy because I've created a lot of my own issues just out of my behavior. And if I and obviously, if that didn't happen, I I don't well not obviously, but I assume that if that didn't happen, I would not have had some of the um, challenges and issues that I've had throughout my life. Do you think the misconceptions or stereotypes about male
0: sexual assault survivors or trauma impact
2: your willingness to seek support from family? Your- I don't think I had anything to do with me not telling them. I just don't, there's just not a, um, our conversations are not that elevated. Have you encountered stereotypes of misconception in general? Uh, I don't necessarily have very many personal stories to tell, but I've witnessed them. Uh, and if I you probably don't have any personal ones cause you probably haven't talked
0: to anybody about it. Right.
2: The only person that I've talked to about this is a professional. What about you? Oh,
1: yes. Um, No doubt that the sexual trauma, inappropriate behavior, incest very much existed or exists in my family. And I knew at a young age that there were certain topics that were just not up for discussion. So... It was just clear that there's certain things you talk about and there's certain things that you just you just don't, you just leave alone. Just, we don't talk about those things. Assault, rape, homosexuality, anything of that nature. It's just, we don't talk about that in this family. And if any type of abuse related to that has happened, we just, we just don't talk about it do you think this has had any impact in your knee-jerk reaction is no but you know i've also been in therapy for a little while in read books and articles online and i've seen i've arguments for both sides like i've some argue that you know it's you being molested like that's why you're gay or have an attraction to you know you have same-sex attraction and then there's others that argue that you're just you're born you're born attracted to whomever so i'm not sure have you questioned that i have i wonder if uh yeah i wonder about that if i wasn't molested Would I still have, you know, this attraction? I wonder. Would you be okay either way? Sure. I'm pretty content with who I've become. How about you, Phil?
2: I... I have I I don't even know how where to go to even find the answer to that question. I have been so uh clear about what I was curious about attracted towards. And again, I think well, actually no, I think I didn't know where to go. Yeah, no, I believe that what happened to me was um It 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 like planted a seed. It it definitely planted a seed because it's just at a super super young age. I I had first experience. Yeah, there's just no way that you had that level of curiosity. It's just it's just not entered into the brain for it to be for me to be that young and to have that intense of a. Um. Curiosity and my behavior be so off at such a young age. So previously, did you tell yourself that it was no.
0: you know, that had that you you always understood that your experience is what caused your trauma?
2: No, no, absolutely not. I, so you blamed yourself for what you were going through or how you were responding, how I was behaving. Oh yeah, hundred percent knew that or believed. Well, not just believed it, but I was told.
0: You know that you're just wrong. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm.
2: Not. You're responding to Trump. Yeah, before I knew that something was wrong, before I understood it, I was told. You mean it. that you were responding to your experience, correct. that you were wrong? Yes. Before I realized I was responding to my experience and that response was wrong, I was told. That something wrong with you. Correct. I didn't even, I remember just being a young kid coming in and asking my grandmother. Uh, I was playing outside and I, and I, I, she tells me this story all the time. I came in and I said, Big Mama, what's gay? What is that? And she would ask me well, why. And I said, well, because African keeps telling me that I'm gay, and I said, what's, or sweet, or whatever it was, or whatever term it was. And she tells me that story a lot. Said, I was like maybe five, five or six. And this is following, you were Exactly. How has this
0: impacted your relationship?
2: (laughs) In every possible way that I believe they can be impacted. I mean, my... My... The basis of how I engage with another male is altered because of the first memory of male engagement was what it is. I didn't have any brothers. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have any uncles. I didn't have any male, like m- mentors to guide me, her growing up. I grew up a lot around, uh, all women. And so this is the, this is the earliest memory that I have. Of another male in terms of the way we connected in in a close way. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Huge impact on the relationships um, that I have Um, forced me to be just very protective of what I share about my personal life. It takes, you know, I tend to just fly solo be alone, just in my head, my own thoughts, like it's, it's difficult for me to create relationships and especially, um, middle school, high school, you know, with other guys. Maybe I just had this distorted perspective on, on guys, um, that, Not to be trusted. Well, he doesn't trust yourself and trust other people. Trust other people. Don't trust other people. People will let you down. Whatever it is that you want, you're responsible for making that happen. Don't ask for help. Don't ask questions. Don't share. Just protect yourself and figure it out on your own. Because people will let you down. People will betray you. People will hurt you, especially men. Do you still carry? mud I'm much better now. Like formed a lot of really great, healthy relationships. Um, you know, with men, a lot of you know, great friends that I trust, that I respect, that I admire. Therapy, lots of it, lots of um, internal work, and I still have quite a bit of of ways to go because it's so easy for me to revert back to okay. protect myself put the wall up keep everyone away do you think
0: you ever need to disclose in friendships or any other type of relationship disclose what what your experience was I have to a few is it necessary do you think does it change the dynamic and all or help you under who you when creating or establishing these relationships?
1: I think it would be helpful because, because sometimes, you know, I'm like polar opposites. I'm on one hand, I'm very open and very giving and sometimes oversharing. And then on the flip side, I can be very distant and cold and, and especially, you know, in, college you know often hear like what why are you like why do you act like that why are you so distant like so cold like you you don't call you don't show up like you'll you show up for a little bit and then you retreat so maybe if i shared a little bit more about that maybe it would help them understand like oh okay this is not personal this is Perhaps this is just side effect of the experiences that he's had. So I know to not take it personal, but there's only there's a select few that I've trusted enough to share. What has helped you trust them?
0: Those select few. what is there, anything that they've done in particular and any advice you would give folks who, um, are bearing witness to someone's story.
1: They're celebrating me um as a you know not just tolerating like mm-hmm. celebrating and acceptance so if i feel accepted if i feel like there's mutual respect then i'll feel safe enough to share but again in our culture black culture there's certain you know it's it's Talking about heavy topics like that makes people uncomfortable. The default is just let's just crack a joke and let's move past it, not let's go there. So most would rather, or in my experience, you know, the people in my circle, they'd rather just joke about it, you know, nervous laughter, and then let's just change the subject instead of going there. Because, yeah.
0: Let's talk about shame and guilt. Have you experienced a lot of that as a result of what you went through?
2: Not specifically connected to what happened. I don't feel like I carry shame and guilt. Based off of those two incidents. No, but I carry shame and goat from other um, behaviors that I believe are areas that I've, I've faced because of, you know, it's like the symptoms of the behavior. Or it's, it's sim- behaviors that are symptoms of the actual incident. Gotcha. So, how you treated yourself or how you treated others after what you've experienced
0: is what you had some shame guilt over? Yes. Are you still dealing with that? Yeah. Yeah. How does that show up? Like on a regular basis?
2: Uh, I think
0: is it like ruminating
2: thoughts? Is it always constantly saying there's something wrong with me? Is it a behavior pattern? I think it's a combination of ruminating thoughts and patterns of behavior and, um, just, uh, I think a need for acceptance or an attraction towards certain things. So you respond in a certain way or, or operate
0: based off the, the need for acceptance. And then you're ashamed that you
2: sometimes do that. I think sometimes I'm ashamed of the things that I have done to be accepted. Gotcha. And, um, I also have a pretty good, uh, like shut down mechanism. I'm pretty, I can easily, um, disconnect. I can fall asleep easily. I can go into an alternative world easily. I can get lost in whatever before it was social media, it was drawing before it was drawing. It was, or before, uh, social media, it was TV before television. It was drawing. I can escape really easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes what becomes dangerous is I can, I don't know how I've been able to do this, but I can somehow. how. Live in a fantasy world and the real world at the same time. In order to survive, you had to learn that skill. Yeah. But it's dangerous because I'm not presently in either. So I can miss really important stuff. So you still carry a lot of emotional pain? Yeah. Which is why you aren't present? in
0: either. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. How's the healing process evolved over time for you? Right, well, first it started
1: out with just, just reading books, just exploring on my own, learning about the brain, learning about trauma, coping mechanisms. And at first it was just performance, do well in school, have a great career, make money, then that will, that will make everything okay. That'll, that'll help me heal until it didn't. So overcompensating. Overcompensating. Yes. And then it was, um, then therapy. And and, and I've since added to that, added exercise and mindful meditation and journaling to help. So, a lot less guilt and shame than. I used to carry. Actually, no, I think there's maybe a little bit of guilt. Mm-hmm. Very little shame that I carry. More guilt. Guilt, like did something wrong. Like could have spoken up sooner, could have Towed.
0: So you were responsible for what happened to you? I,
1: That's how you internalized it. That's how I internalized it. Made the assumption that they're, they're too underdeveloped, unevolved to, you know, have these types of big conversations. So, were well, you're the one who's read books. You're the one who's been in therapy. So it's up to you to bring light to this, to help perhaps jumpstart healing And the response has been rough. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Have you or when did you find acceptance along the healing
1: journey? Acceptance of you. So working on it. Okay. I haven't gotten there yet. But I'm a lot better. Closer. A lot a lot closer.
0: What is home? Never mind. You gotta say therapy.
1: Unless you're gonna say something else. Um, um my chosen family. Is your birth, you know, can't choose the family that you're born into, but you can choose you, you can create your chosen family and um I was a nice tight-knit tribe of really close friends that are like siblings or aunt's uncles to me that have really supported me and validated my existence and a lot smarter than I am and helped me stay in the practice of self-love, self-care, taking care of my mental health. That's made the biggest that's, I think that's had biggest impact in faith okay
0: what advice would you give someone who might have a similar experience
2: well I would say get connected to some form of mentorship, therapy, get into a practice that requires you to get out of your patterns of thinking behavior gives yourself an opportunity to be seen and just commit to allowing yourself to see yourself outside of what you've always viewed. I don't want to say yourself again, because it sounds redundant, but, um, just connect with someone that you trust and believe them when they tell you positive things oh you' mm-hmm. if you trust them then chances are you'll you'll believe them but it's gonna take time for re- for you to believe it Dang. have either of you heard of moral injury moral injury yeah no
0: so this is this term um that it's kind of coined in the military. Folks experience a trauma downrange or overseas in the combat zone, come back. There are three prongs, right? The first prong would be self-playing or guilt. The second would be mistrust of self or others. And the third would be an existential or spiritual crisis. And we kind of work with those who were exposed to combat trauma or um, themselves or, or witnessed it. Um, kind of like survivor's remorse um, there's a reason why this is all happening and that reason is probably me so I always like compare this almost to and no offense to anyone in the military obviously I'm still serving I'm in the military um, and, but I compare it to, to surviving uh, a war like some harm to your body and to your emotional state your physical and emotional capacity to live to thrive has been disrupted because of what what took place and a huge part of the healing process i think is getting over the moral injury out of the blame the trust and the crisis that happens afterward does that resonate with people
1: yes and definitely relate all all three because yeah when it happened didn't really know what it was until I 10 years later when I told someone, and there's definitely some guilt there because you're exposing the family, you're going to cause trouble now. And we're such a close knit family, family above everything else has been, you know, drilled into us, and now you're. Like you sharing this, yeah, you know, is going to have a negative impact on the family closeness. So, and as you said, existential or spiritual. or spiritual, like type of yes. event or crisis. Yes, yeah, yeah, self harm. Yeah, that's happened a couple times. Just. Has it impacted your faith? Faith in what? Faith in general. Um, it has, it, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes i um reminded that there's still good people out there in the world and you can trust and and it's totally okay to to be vulnerable and and other times it's like no nope, you're on your own whatever it is that you need you're responsible for creating mm. so kind of the ebbs and flow you look like when I know something sir.
2: Man, it's just sitting, and it's just kind of putting some dots together based off of some things that I have seen and know of him and his relationship with his family. It's like it's a few light bulbs that have been gone off today mm-hmm. during this conversation.
0: What motivates you to just share your story publicly?
2: on a podcast. Well, I, first and foremost, you're, um, one of those people that I trust and there, oh, that's a lot of way Well, thank you for that. Well, it's true. Okay. Um, and the, um, the opportunity to get in conversation about deep personal, um, things that have happened or could be impacting my life right now, I tend to, um, lean into because at this point in my life, I am pretty interested in a shift. And so whatever can get me there, I'm down. Don't really have any like fear. At this point, thank you.
0: Sexual assault is a severely underreported crime, and male survivors, particularly black male survivors, are less likely to report their experiences due to cultural, societal, and institutional barriers. According to a 2010 report by the National Institute of Justice, black men are less likely to report sexual assault than any other meta racial or ethnic groups. Furthermore, Black men who do report are less likely to receive the support and services they need. The same report found that Black men are overrepresented in sexual assault cases involving multiple perpetrators. Additionally, Black men who are incarcerated or otherwise involved in the criminal justice system are at a higher risk of experiencing sexual assault. It is also worth noting that the intersection of race and sexual orientation can increase the risk of sexual assault for black men who identify as gay or bisexual. According to a 2013 report by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, black men who have sex with men have a higher risk of experiencing sexual violence than men of other races and ethnicities who have sex with men. Overall, the statistics on sexual assault against black men are likely to be higher than what is reported due to underreporting and other barriers to access and support and services. Sexual assault against black men is a complex and under-discussed issue that has been historically overlooked in research, policy, and public discourse. Here are some facts about black male sexual assault. Black men are less likely to report sexual assault than men of other racial and ethnic groups. They often face additional barriers such as fear of being perceived as weak, gay, or feminine, as well as stigma, discrimination, and mistrust of law enforcement and medical professionals. Black men are overrepresented in sexual assault cases involving multiple perpetrators. This is also known as gang rape, and it can be especially traumatic and difficult to recover from. Black male survivors of sexual assault may experience a range of negative health and social outcomes such as depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, suicide, social isolation, and poor academic and occupational performance. Black male survivors of sexual assault may face unique challenges in access and support and services such as cultural insensitivity, lack of representation, limited funding, and inadequate policies and practices. Black male survivors of sexual assault are often erased or marginalized in public discourse about sexual violence, which tends to focus on white female victims and male perpetrators. This can perpetuate harmful stereotypes and further stigmatize black male survivors. If you or someone you know is experiencing or has experienced any form of trauma, please consider contacting a mental health professional, or reach out to your local helpline. You are not alone, and there are resources available to support you. You've been listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on The After Session, or follow me on Instagram at theaftersession underscore. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging In a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one LAW underscore music. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself.